Our message tonight out of the book of Ezekiel is from the book of Ezekiel, not any one particular chapter. We're going to be looking at a number of verses in a number of different places in Ezekiel. I've titled this one, You Shall Know That I Am the Lord. Starting in chapter 12, we'll be looking at a few verses out of chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. And that two verses don't, doesn't have anything particular to do with that you shall know that I am the Lord. But um, a couple of things I wanted to point out here. Uh, Yeshua used this phrase that's used here in Ezekiel, eyes to hear and eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, and so he's quoting that and used that uh, several times. And he's quoting that right out of Ezekiel, but he impressed to write that down. And another point here is where he uses that phrase, son of man. And we'll come back to that in another little bit. But you see it here, there, beginning of verse 2. Son of man, you dwell in a house. And so he's talking specifically to Ezekiel. Um, and again, we'll come back to that. Okay, verse 15, same chapter, chapter 12. They will know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine, and from pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So here are two verses in a row. We have this phrase, that they shall know that I am the Lord. And in one case, he's going to scatter us among the nations, which he did do, and that uh, we declared uh, to the, uh, their abominations to the Gentiles wherever we were sent. Now it says here, the second part where it says, uh, then they shall know that I am the Lord. I'm not sure who the they there is. Right? Uh, and the Jews will be dispersed, declare their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go, then they, I'm not sure if the Gentiles will know that he is the Lord, or that the Jews, as a result of being scattered among the nations, will know that he is the Lord. Or maybe both, right? Uh, it's not specific there. Then in verse 20, still same chapter, chapter 12. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste, and the land shall become desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And that also happened as well. The, uh, the cities became desolate. Babylon came in. Ezekiel was prophesying just before Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem and, and took the majority of Judah uh, captive. And so he's declaring that, prophesying that, and that did happen exactly as God prophesied through the prophet Ezekiel. And as a result, we were to know that God is the Lord. Now this phrase that we've been looking at, you shall know that I am the Lord, um, is used twice in the book of Joel. Joel's a small book, so that's you know, a fair number of times being used in such a long phrase, eight uh, words in a row, and sometimes it's Lord God, so that'd be nine. Sometimes it starts with, then you shall know, and so it's you know, uh, uh, nine or ten words in a row. That's a long phrase to be used over and over again. It's twice in the book of Isaiah, but Isaiah's a big book, so that's not that often. Five times in Exodus, and that's a fair amount but 32 times in the book of Ezekiel. No, even though Ezekiel is a large book, that's a lot of times. And that's for the eight 
sometimes nine, sometimes ten words in a row, but at least the eight row, words in a row. And then even smaller portions of that phrase is used like 50-something times. And so that's at least once every chapter. And even in the full phrase of eight words, uh, that's more than once every other chapter. And that is, again, a lot of times. Now, that we mentioned that Son of Man in verse 2 in chapter 12, and that's used 62 times in the book of Ezekiel. That's more than once every chapter. That is a lot of times, especially since it's not used hardly at all in any other parts of the first part of the Bible. It's used a few times in the book of Jeremiah and a couple other places, but not so much or not for the specific prophet like it is used here. It's Jeremiah referring to the Son of Man or something like that and in a few other places. Um, but in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is referred to over and over and over again as the Son of Man. God specifically speaking to Ezekiel. Oh, Son of Man, thus and thus, tell them thus and thus, um, etc. Now, it's used 30 times in the book of Matthew, and in the book of Matthew, it's used in the other Gospels as well, but just referring to, uh, or, or just matching up uh, parallel with, with the book of Matthew on that. And I think it's used twice in the book of Revelation. Um, but Matthew 30 times, that's a lot of times as well, and that's Yeshua referring to himself that way. So in Ezekiel, God is referring to Ezekiel as the Son of Man. And in Matthew and the other Gospels and in Revelation, it's Yeshua referring to himself as the Son of Man. And that's very interesting. So Ezekiel was used as, a, um, as an example, as, a, as an antitype, as a, as a um, prefiguring of the Messiah to come. And that the Messiah himself would come like Ezekiel. He would come as a prophet. He would come as a man. He would come as a son of a man. He would come as flesh. He would come as human being, tempted in all ways, like as we are. And so he would come to us. He came down to our level. He came to us to meet us. Uh, and so that's important as well. Now, these two things, Son of Man used 62 times in Ezekiel, and hardly anywhere else except in the book of Matthew, but used in a different way. And you shall know that I am the Lord used 32 times in Ezekiel is an interesting aspect of both those phrases being used over and over again in the book of Ezekiel and not hardly anywhere else in the same context, shows us that the Bible was written by individuals, inspired by God, but specifically to individuals. For example, all of us use certain phrases, all of us have certain words that we say in certain ways, all of us have a certain uh, dialect or, or um, um, pattern of speech that we, that we use a lot, um, and, and certain tones and tonal inclinations uh, when we speak. And that's because we're all unique, we're all different. But if the Bible was a dictation, right? If I wrote a book today and I wrote another book a year or two from now, it would have that same thing. And you see that a lot in musicians. A lot of musicians, all their music sounds the same. <laughs> After a while, you get the, the third, fourth CD, and it sounds very similar to the first CD uh, because we, 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 hit, we get stuck in a rut and are stuck in a pattern. Uh, there are some musicians who break that and, and they have different sounds uh, for different songs, but, 
but mostly we, we, we're, we're patterned. Um, but God inspired and spoke to each of his prophets and prophetesses differently and uniquely. He didn't call every one of his prophets son of man or daughter of man, but just specifically to Ezekiel. He didn't say over and over again to all his prophets that this will happen, that they will know that I am the Lord. But that was something specific that he inspired Ezekiel with. And that's why we have a little bit of differences between the Gospels. Just the same as if, if, if we did a survey here after the service and, and, and someone came around and asked each one of us what, did, what, did, uh, what was the sermon about or what did he say, and it would all be a little bit different, maybe a lot different <laughs> in some ways. And yet we have a recording of it and we can play it back and say, well, this is what he actually said. But hopefully, there would at least be some harmony that we would have regarding it. And if all of us were on a street corner and saw a car accident together, we'd all give a little bit different report. But hopefully, the facts would be somewhat the same, and, but they'd be different. And sometimes they're not the same. But that's the amazing thing with the Bible. We have all these different writers, most of them living at different time periods, Sometimes in different countries, like Ezekiel in Babylon and, and Jeremiah, while at the same time in, in, in Jerusalem, in, in Judea, Judea. And yet, and each one of the writings being unique, with their unique phrases and unique sentence structure, and yet all saying the same message. There is one message that is unified throughout the scriptures that teaches about God. And we're going to see that even just in this one phrase today. There is a unique message to this phrase that you may know that I am the Lord. That is a message that is in all the scriptures. While the phrase is not in all the scriptures, the message that it brings forth is in all the scriptures. That's an amazing thing. That's a unique thing to the Bible. And it's a compilation of different writers writing inspired by God, but writing in their own way, describing things in their own way, and yet all of it being in harmony together. You can't even get a jury of 12 to do that. But God did it with many people over hundreds of years period of time and bring it all together. The Bible is unique. And again, it's not God's dictation, but it's human beings inspired by God, as the scriptures say regarding itself. Inspired men of old penned the word of God. Okay, so let's get into this phrase, you shall know that I am the Lord. We looked a little bit already out of chapter 12. Now in chapter 6, Ezekiel 6, verse 7, we're not going to look at all 32 phrases, um, but we'll look at a good amount of them. Then they, the slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And that also happened. It was you know, horrible uh, slaying of people when Babylon came through. Chapter 7, verse 4. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will repay your ways and your abominations will be, abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And that also 
happened. God, it was the judgment that took place. Um, people were not spared, even though the false prophets were saying, don't worry, no calamity is going to come, no trouble is going to come to Jerusalem. We're God's people, this is God's city, nothing can happen here. And yet, it did, because of our abominations. You shall fall by the sword, I will judge you at the borders of Israel, then you shall know that I am the Lord. And you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all around you. And so God will judge. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the borders of Israel. God is judge. And he brings judgment. And he brings judgment into relation of how we respond and react to him. God is love, but he is also judge. And that is one of the messages we're seeing brought out here over and over again. He allows us, with great mercy and great patience, great long-suffering, to continue and make our choices as we want. But eventually a judgment comes. There is a consequences that takes place. And sometimes it's a natural reaction. Sometimes it's just what happens as a result of wrong choices. Sometimes it's just a consequence. Sometimes it just plays out. Sometimes it's God stepping in. Sometimes it's us moving so far out of God's protection that we open ourselves up for the devil to harass us and, and problems to come. But eventually, judgment comes. Discipline takes place. Correction is meted out. And yeah, a survey just came out. Just, just, we just read it yesterday. It was just in, published yesterday that... Um, Something like only 33% of Jewish people believe in a God who is a judge. A biblical God that the Bible says he does. 89% they say they believe in God. But for a lot, it's just this higher power out there somewhere. Not a personal God. And I should have brought out, I had the Hebrew there, uh, for this phrase, you shall know, the word know there, Yadati is, the, 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 the root of it is Yad, and Yad is hand. And it's the same word that's used in Genesis, where it says, Adam knew Eve, and she bore a child. This intimate knowing, more than just a head knowledge knowing, but a coming close together knowing. And also with the, the hand aspect, just experientially reaching out and touching, Feeling, knowing. I, my, my kids often say, uh, can I look at your, you know, whatever, your, your my wife's guitar, or can I look at uh, your tool, or whatever. They don't want to look at it. They want to grab it, they want to hold it, they want to, you know, play with it, they want to hopefully not break it. You know, but they, 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 when they say, oh, I want to look at it, yeah, you can look at it from three feet away, you know. That's safe enough. But they want to, can I you know, see the, the, the blender, you know, uh, they want to use it, they want to touch it, they want to handle it. Yeah, they want to take, take it and, and, and do it, right? Yeah. Um, and so God invites us to know him on a personal level. To see those who have eyes to see, to see, those who have ears to hear, 
those who have hands to feel, to touch, and to know him intimately, personally, closely, as Adam knew Eve, and even closer than that. And one of the ways he invites us to do that is by him judging us, by him allowing calamities to come, to get our attention, to wake us up to the reality that he is God, that he is serious, that he means business, and out of love, he allows judgments to come. And a loving parent will do the same for their children. A loving parent or teachers or individuals who love others, spouses, friends, as it says in Proverbs, a wise person receives correction. Well, for a wise person to receive correction, somebody has to do the correcting. And if we think, if we have this concept of love, that love means we just allow people just to continue to do whatever they want, continue to drive on the wrong side of the road, continue to, you know, harm themselves and kill themselves and destroy all their relationships, then that's love. Well, that's not biblical love. And that's not healthy love for anyone or anything. And so God shows us himself so that we can know him by, in one way, his judgments, his corrections. Right? If a teenager says, you know, one teenager says, oh, my parents say I have to be in by a certain time. And the other child says, well, my parent doesn't care what time I come home. Well, what are they saying? My parent doesn't care. But a parent who does care, and people who do care for other people, will in a loving way, in a merciful way, share with other people the truth of God's word, and right and wrong, and correct, and help. one another. I mean, that's why we have laws. That's why we have speed limits. Because we care for one another. We don't want to get run over. We don't want to. I mean, I don't like red lights. But nonetheless, they're there for my own good. I don't like stop signs, but nonetheless, they're there for my own good as well as for everyone else's. And the same with God. He's loving statutes. And we may know that he is the Lord for when we have not walked in his statutes and his ways, nor executed his judgments. Chapter 15, verse 7. And I will set my face against them, and they will go out from one fire, but into another fire shall devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. So even sometimes God has to stand up and set his face against us is to stand against us, even while he's still for us. But he has to oppose our choices. He has to oppose our actions when we are going against him. We don't want to be in a position where we're going against God. We do want to be in a position 
when we're going against the devil. We don't want to be on the track with the devil. We want to be on the track that's hitting him face on, head on collision, which of course means that we're going to have problems. But better to be on that path than on the path against God. Chapter 22, verse 16. You shall defile yourselves in the sight of the nations, then you shall know that I am the Lord. In chapter 23, verse 49, they shall repay you for your lewdness, and you shall pay for your adulterous sins, and then you shall know that I am the Lord God. See, in most of the phrases, it's been know that he is the Lord. And again, there's a lot of people in the world today, in this nation, majority, that will say they believe in God. But it doesn't necessarily mean they make him Lord. And there is a difference between believing in a God who is modeled after what we think he should be, and there's another thing to have God as Lord, who is the one who sets the standard, who's in charge, who's the master, who knows best, who knows what's right, who knows what's wrong, and who writes the laws and makes them. And then holds us accountable to walk in them. And he is the Lord God. And so sometimes he allows situations that we end up getting repaid for our lewdness and pay the price of our sins. And all of that to wake us up so that we might know him. He doesn't need us. He doesn't do it so that we will know him so that, you know, he gets another Facebook like, you know, or... He doesn't need another friend out there. He's secure in himself. He's got a whole universe that loves him, and he doesn't need them either. But he does it so that we might know him for our benefit, that we can experience him, that we can have him as our friend, that we can have him as our spouse, that we can have him with us. Chapter 13, verse 23. So we looked at a bunch of the judgment things. Now look at some of the positive things. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility, nor practice divination. For I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So in his deliverances, we see his power and his might as well, as in his judgments and his corrections and his disciplines. That's why we review the Passover, God's mighty deliverance. We saw him take us out of Egypt with an outstretched arm. When we couldn't get out in our own power, where he parts the Red Sea, where he brings the plagues, and he delivers us. And he delivers us today that we might know him. And he delivered out of the hands of those that were causing trouble in that day as well. Chapter 14, verse 8. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. In context here, he's talking about the false prophets, that he's going to deal with that. He's going to take them out of the way. 
He's going to bring judgment upon them and deliver us from their lies so that we will not be deceived, but that we can know the Lord is God. Chapter 16, verse 62. And I will establish my covenant with you, then you shall know that I am the Lord. God establishes his covenant, his everlasting covenant with us, going all the way back to the beginning of time, reinstated and reminded and with Noah, flood. He made a covenant with us and, and with Abraham and with Moses and down through the ages, God has covenanted his everlasting covenant that he loves us. He has promised us. He's married us. He's made a commitment to never leave us nor forsake us. To be with us till death do we part. To be with us throughout all eternity. That his love would not change. That his love would be consistent even when his face has to be against us. I like the parent who spanking the child and says, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> His love is there, never changes. It's consistent, always there. And it does hurt God when he has to discipline and correct and punish. But it's again so that we can know him. And so he's made this covenant with us, his covenant of love, that he would not give up on us, that he would stay with us, that he would do everything in his power that we might know him, that we can be drawn to him, that we can have eternity with him. He will do everything. He'll deliver us. He'll pour out blessings upon us. And if that doesn't work, he'll bring judgments and corrections. He will do everything he can on his part. The choice is still ours. Even though he's all-powerful, even though he can do all things, he's not going to force the will. He still leaves the choice up to us, but he will not let one stone be unturned or whatever it takes in order for us to have the opportunities we need to know him and to love him. That's his covenant with us. That's his everlasting covenant. And he sealed it with Noah with a rainbow that he was not going to destroy the earth again with a flood. He would destroy it again with fire. And so the rainbow, the rainbow is originally God's thing, right? The rainbow is God's covenant. It's been hijacked, but uh, you see a rainbow, still think of God. Whether on a flag or anything, it has to do with God. God, God. Colors are from God. The ability to see colors are from God. It's amazing there are animals who don't have the ability. And even some people who don't have the ability to see colors. We should be thankful for that and appreciate that miracle. Amazing part of creation. Not only that we have the ability to see colors, but there's colors out there, right? Which came first? The ability to see colors or that there would be colors, right? Evolution wouldn't work. There'd be no need for flowers to be different colors until there were things that could see colors. So they would not evolve with different colors just for the sake of it. Unless they were created together at the same time, there's no need for one other than the other, without the other. Anyway, so God's covenant with us. He made that promise with us. And yet, even in that covenant with Noah, it shows he will discipline. He destroyed the earth once with a flood. He's serious. Whatever it takes. And if he didn't do it then, then who knows? Noah might not have, you know, after Noah died, his children might not have been anyone on the earth. 
But when it got to the point where there was only eight left that were willing to get into the boat, he needed to destroy and deliver them and take out all the rest. So he does bring judgment, and he demonstrated that once, and he promised he's going to do it again. And he showed us in Jerusalem, and, and he's promising he will do it again with fire. So that we can know him and be spared. Chapter 20, verse 38. I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Right, so God will do his deliverance. Not everyone gets to go to heaven. Not everyone gets to go into the eternal promised land. God has a standard. And it's amazing. I see these cartoons every time someone dies. You know, and then they, they, some cartoonist has these angels in heaven or whatever welcoming them in. You know, even some of these people who definitely had no desire to go there, no belief in God, they don't all go. We don't all go into the pearly gates. Chapter, still chapter 20, verse 42. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And God did that. God brought us back miraculously. Babylon did come through. Babylon did lay the city's waste. There was slain all throughout the land. God did allow fires and problems to take place, disaster to take place, the walls to fall down. But then also, miraculously, 70 years later, as God promised, he did bring us back into the land that we might know that he is the Lord. And then after Rome comes and destroys the city again, miraculously, God brought us back into the land again. And then even when we didn't have Jerusalem, God miraculously gave us Jerusalem again. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. All these are miracles, yet they're Bible promises. And God fulfills his promises. And sometimes it takes thousands of years. Sometimes it takes... And discipline, but it's also that we could know that he is the Lord God. Then you shall know, still chapter 20, verse 44, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. God does these things. God's made a covenant with us. God loves us, not because we're lovable. He doesn't gain anything out of the relationship. He's not good for us. He doesn't deliver us. He doesn't pour out his blessings upon us because of any good in and of ourselves. We don't deserve any of it. We didn't earn any of it. But for his name's sake, so that we and others will know him. It's all about him. It's not so they know us. It's so that we know him. Because he is the source of life. He is the source of blessings. He is the source of love. He is love. That's his own definition of himself. And so we have to have a right picture of what he looks like. We have to know him as he is, not as we think he should be. I've heard people say, well, if God's going to judge the wicked, well then, 
My God would never do that. And I'm sure their God would never do that. But I know that the Lord God will do that. <laughs> because he's done it in the past and he will do it again. And he doesn't do it again because of ourselves. We will not be in heaven, none of us, because of any goodness of our own. But because of God, of what God has done. And the Messiah coming, leaving heaven, leaving the adoration of the universe, and to come here to be rejected, and to go through troubles as a son of man, as a child of humanity, to go through difficulties and struggles and pain, and then to have the face of God turned on him. Then to receive the punishment and the wrath of God upon himself. To receive our sins and the judgment for our sins, the punishment for our sins, the consequences of our sins, to experience the second death. If God wasn't serious about judgment, so that we might know him, he would certainly not allow our judgments to fall upon his son. But he did. But he did. That's how much he loves us. And the Father, in love for us, raised his son. We know he was willing to stay in the grave and receive that second death for eternity if necessary. God raised him from the dead so we can see the mercy and the justice and the power of God as well and the goodness of God in our behalf. All so we can know him. All so we can see him as he really is. All so we can reach out and touch him because he's reached down to touch us to be with us, for his name's sake. Chapter 24, verse 24, Thus Ezekiel is a sign to you, according to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. What we see in Ezekiel, God had him do lots of crazy things. Lay on his side for 40 days, and on his side for 40 days, and dig holes and walls and all kinds of things, and cook his food on cow dung. All his demonstrations of what was going to happen to us, and did happen. So God made Ezekiel a sign in his actions so that we would know God. And God wants to make us a sign as well to others so that others can know God. So not only has he forgiven us, but he wants to fill us with himself. He wants us to know him so personally that he comes inside us and dwells inside us and transforms us and changes us and begins that process of remaking us into his image as he originally created Adam and Eve, as his original plan for us was, which we're not. You and I are not born in his image. 
Have you ever looked in the mirror lately? But um, Adam and Eve were created in his image. That doesn't apply to the rest of us. It would have if they hadn't sinned. But that's why he wants us to be born anew and born again so that we can then allow his presence and his spirit and his character to be lived out in us so that others will know that he is the Lord God. Chapter 24, verse 27. On that day your mouth will be opened to him who has escaped, and you shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you will be assigned to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. God wants us not only to live out a life by his power, by his strength, by his grace, by his spirit living in us, but he wants us to speak forth his praises. He wants to speak forth his truth. And that comes in blessings and encouragements and, and, and truth in the word of God. It also comes in loving corrections and disciplines and a balanced life and balanced words. That we speak forth. That we go forth and tell the world about God. Chapter 36, verse 1, I will multiply you upon, upon you, man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And God is doing that now. Again, he's talking, referring to the land here. And Israel now is in better shape than it was in the beginning. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing there. Uh, land flowing with milk and honey, and now it's flowing even more so. And prospering even more so, and multiplied even more so. God is fulfilling his promises. And we should see that. And that should also be an encouragement to us. That God is truth. And truthful. And faithful. And just as God did it for them, he will be there for you and me individually in our lives as well. 36, chapter 36, verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed, hallowed in you before their eyes. Again, God wants to use us to demonstrate to the world, to the nations, of what he is like. And God promises to do that in us, his great name manifested in you and I, earthen vessels, broken vessels. He wants to use us and fill us with his spirit and his truth. Chapter 37, verse 6. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. We are alive, but we're dead in trespasses and sin. We're really, we are the living dead. We are the walking dead. That is us. We're, we're dead inside. We're carnal and corrupt and selfish and inward focused. Filled with every unclean thing. But God does his miracle and transforms us and changes us and puts flesh on us and makes us alive. Killed the Messiah, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but the Messiah liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me.
It's a miracle of God. Him recreating us. Him transforming us. Him changing us. So that we could know him, see him, experience him. And live like him. So that others can see his great name. And come to know him as well. And in the stupid movies, you know, where they, I don't know exactly how they go because I didn't watch them, but you know, where these dead things that are alive, whatever they, you know, and they go and they make other people like them, right? Zombie, whatever, yeah, they go and they make other people into zombies. They make other people walking dead, right? And now it goes, right? They're dead, they're this thing, and then they go wherever they grab, touch, bite, whatever, I don't know. They become like them. But the reality is, is that's what God wants to do through us. God wants to make us alive and walking in him. And he wants us to go forward and to touch and heal and minister and speak and let them become like God as well. Chapter 37, verse 13. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. A resurrection is coming. And we are assured of the resurrection because he has been resurrected. We have the assurance because he came and did it. Because he came in the flesh as the son of man and died and was buried and was resurrected. Thus we also, who are dead in trespasses and sins, would die and yet be resurrected in him because he lives. We also shall live. In the flesh now, die from sin and be resurrected. And then physically, if we die before he comes, be resurrected at his coming. And we shall know throughout all eternity that he is the Lord God. He'll separate the wheat and the tares and the sheep and the goats. He will do his judgment. And so in knowing God is this balanced God. This God who resurrects the dead. This God who brings us to life. This God who changes us and transforms us. This God who delivers us. The God who takes the false prophets out of our midst. The God who works in our behalf. The God who makes us flourish and blesses us with abundance, even better in our end than in our beginning. This God who loves us is also the same God who judges and allows discipline and correction and problems to take place. So to really know him, we need to know him both ways. And that's the theme that's throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. In every book. In every chapter. That God is a balanced God. And to truly know him as he is, is to know him in that balanced way. A God of truth, a God of love, a God of laws, a God of righteousness, a God of accountability, as well as a God of mercy and a God of long-suffering, but a God who will not be mocked. On both, all of it together. One word, not one part that's law and one part that's grace. It's law and grace all together, always. It's not a God, a father who's a judge, but he has a nice son. They're all together, they're all one, in harmony together, in unity together, as God's word is. And it's brought out in this phrase throughout this book of Ezekiel, both aspects being brought out, the knowing him because of his judgments and knowing him because of his blessings. And in our own lives, God's trying to get our attention constantly. In blessings and in correction. And for some of us, some of us get our attention, and sometimes others not. Sometimes just things happen, and we just take it for granted. It's a sunny day, and we're happy. 
It's a rainy day and we're not happy. But we should thank God in all things and learn lessons from all things and be drawn closer to him in all things. For some of us, when calamities come, we get down and we start praying like we never prayed before. For others, calamities come and they curse God and turn from God. For others, blessings come and we don't think anything of it. We don't even give thanks. Just think it's because we're so smart or we're so good or we just so deserved it or it's just how things worked out. We're just lucky. And we pray and pray and then it comes to pass and we don't even thank him for it. As if he owed us. As if we deserved it. As if we're entitled to it. But in all things, maybe whatever you're going through now, how is God trying to get your attention this week? Maybe a combination of things. Maybe God's brought some blessings. Maybe God's brought some corrections. Maybe God's used an individual or a message or maybe something you read or something God impressed upon your mind or maybe a circumstance or situation that's happened in your life. He's trying to get your attention. Maybe some type of judgment, some type of negative thing happened. Maybe some type of problem that he's trying to wake us up to our reality of our lives. Maybe he allowed us to lose a job because of some character trait in us. Maybe he allowed some sickness because of some area that we've been not following his ways. Maybe he's tried to slow us down in some way, shape, or form. Maybe he's allowed some problem in our lives. He's trying to get our attention. Or maybe some blessings have come to you this week or recently. And he's trying to get your attention and show you his love and his mercy in that way as well. Maybe some promotion, maybe some raise, maybe some opening, maybe some kindness, maybe some special blessing that came to you. Maybe you saw a gas station that was cheaper than another gas station. Let us thank God in all things and get to know him, and get to know him personally. And so in a moment when we pray, if there's been some way God's been trying to get your attention with correction or discipline or judgment, something's coming to mind and you want to surrender that and thank him through the problem anyway, and it's like for the problem, but through the problem, and allow him and ask him to show you how he's going to work all things together for good because you love him, and you've been called according to his purpose. Or secondly, if there's been some blessings going on in your life that you haven't thanked him for, and you want to pause and thank him, and know him and see him through that, see an aspect of him, a color in the rainbow, is different than the others, some other way you see him because of some specific thing that he did for you or it's taken place in your life. When we pray in a moment, you can thank him for that. Maybe something you forgot to thank him about or something you've just taken for granted. I have a friend who just lost his spouse fairly suddenly after 36 years. We can easily take our relationships for granted. 
or maybe you know God intellectually. You've read about him in the Bible. You know, I know lots of people. I know someone says, do I know President Trump? Oh, yeah, I know him. You know, I've seen his face. I could recognize his face. I heard his voice. I, I probably could identify his voice. He certainly has unique phrases, right? <laughs> but I don't know him. He certainly doesn't know me. How do we know God? Do you know of him? Do you know about him? Or do you know him? Do you recognize his voice? Do you have ears to hear him saying, walk ye in this way? Do you hear his voice giving you direction? Do you hear his voice impressing your mind and heart? bringing conviction, bringing guidance, bringing encouragement, bringing wisdom and knowledge. Do you recognize his voice? Do you see him? Can you picture him? Do you see him with your eyes? Do you walk with him? Closely, hand in hand. Or do you just list in your prayers a bunch of to-dos that you have him for to-do? Like leaving for the plumber to do, you know, here's these things I want you to do while I'm out. Or do you talk to him? Like you talk to your spouse, like you talk to your parents, like you talk to your children, like you talk to your friends. Do you have communion with him? Do you know him? Do you feel his touch upon you? Is it close enough for you to touch and hold and hold on to? And when Satan in this world tries to shake you and shake you from him, do you have a rock that you hold on to that holds you secure and firm, that keeps you from being taken out by the flood? If that hasn't been your experience, knowing, seeing, hearing, touching him. In a moment when we pray, I invite you to ask God to draw you so close that you know him. And that might mean you might have some calamities, some judgments, some, some disciplines and some corrections this week so that you might know him. Or maybe some blessings and some deliverances and some demonstrations of his love. In a moment when we pray, if you want to know him closer, invite him to reveal himself more to you in a very real way, not just in a head knowledge way to experience him. Because Judgment Day is not going to be a test of what was Noah's wife's name or, you know, some checklist of knowing the Bible. Or it's going to be whether or not we really knew him the point where he lived out, lived in us and out of us, where he cleansed us from sin and washed us clean. And so fourthly, if there's some sin in your life, some area that God's convicting you of, some area of rebellion, some area where his face has to be turned away from you, you want to surrender that and give that over to him, some area that you're not walking in his way, some area that you're not 
demonstrating him to others, some area that you're not a good witness for him. The moment when we pray, you can surrender that to him and receive his forgiveness, receive his cleansing, receive his deliverance, receive his power. Fourth or fifth, I forget what I'm up to, but if God's impressing you upon your mind and heart, someone that he's dispersed us among the nations to, someone in your circle that he's impressing you to go and open your mouth to, to go and do some action for, to be some blessing to, that he wants you to represent him so that they also might know the Lord. It might be in giving words of correction. It might be in having to invoke some discipline. It might be in having to tell some adult child that they've crossed some line and that they you know, lose some privilege until there's some correction or, or maybe someone at work or maybe a tenant or a neighbor or some way or shape or form you might need to enact some discipline or maybe some act of mercy or act of kindness or words of encouragement or words of truth telling them about God and eternity and the resurrection maybe in some action maybe in some deed maybe in some word God's impressing upon your mind and heart somewhere that he's wanting you to be an example and in the moment when we pray ask God to go before you to soften their heart prepare the way and for God to fill you with his spirit with the right attitude the right words the right actions the right character, the right deportment, and the right timing. So if any of those areas apply to you or anything else that God's speaking to your heart about, let us pray and draw close to him and know him. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we're thankful for your great love for us. Thankful for your great love and manifesting your truth through your word, a beautiful picture of you, the demonstration of you, that we might truly know you as both Lord and God, both as judge and savior, both as lawgiver and forgiver. Thank you, God, that you are all things. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you've covenanted with us and haven't given up on us. Thank you for doing everything you can to draw us Thank you that you invite us and you want us to know you. And so, Lord, remove everything out of our life that stops us from knowing you. All the selfishness and pride and formality. Give us humility and a desire to touch you, to see you, to hear you, to embrace you, to draw close to you. Come into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.